Chapter one, take two, two. Nice. Nice. Um, in this episode, I'll reiterate, we will be covering topics of sexual and physical violence and abuse. Um, please don't listen to the episode if um, that is too much or overwhelming for you. Take care of yourself first and always. Um, yeah. And you? Why are you here? To work. I need to earn my living so I can feed my two kids. And what do you do for work? The woman looks him straight in the eye and says it. I earn my living by the sweat of my body. What? He asks, confused. The woman replies, her voice shameless. I sell my body. What bullshit is this? I sell my body as you sell your blood. What are you on about? I sell my body for the pleasure of men. Overcome with rage, the man spits. Allah! Al-Rahman! Al-Mumin! Protect me! Against who? The secret smoke spews out of the man's mouth as he continues to invoke his god. In the name of Allah! To drive away the devil. Protect me from Satan! Then takes another huge drag to belch out alongside words of fury. But aren't you ashamed to say this? To say it? Or to do it? Are you a Muslim or aren't you? I'm a Muslim. You will be stoned to death. You will be burnt alive in the flames of hell. He stands up and recites a long verse from the Quran. The woman is still sitting. Her gaze is scornful. Defiantly, she looks him up and down, from head to foot and foot to head. He is spitting. The smoke of his cigarette veils the fury of his beard, the blackness of his eyes. He moves forward with a dark look. Pointing his gun at the woman, he bawls, I'm going to kill you, you whore! The barrel sits on her belly. I'm going to explode your filthy cunt! Dirty whore! Devil! He spits on her face. The woman doesn't move. She scoffs at the man. Impassive, she seems to be daring him to shoot. The man clenches his teeth, gives a great yell, and leaves the house. The woman remains motionless until she hears the man reach the courtyard and call out to the other, Come on, we're getting out of here. This is an ungodly house until she hears the flight of their footsteps down the muddy road. She closes her eyes, sighs, breathes out the smoky air she has been holding in her lungs for a long time. A triumphant smile flickers across her dry lips. After a long gaze at the curtain, she unfolds her body and moves over to her man. Forgive me, she whispers. I had to tell him that, otherwise he would have raped me. She is shaken by a sarcastic laugh. For men like him, to fuck or rape a whore is not an achievement. Putting his filth into a hole that has already served hundreds before him does not engender the slightest masculine pride. Isn't that right, my Sonji Sabur? You should know. Men like him are afraid of whores. And do you know why? I'll tell you, my Sonji Sabur. When you fuck a whore, you don't dominate her body. It's a matter of exchange. You give her money, and she gives you pleasure. And I can tell you that often, she's the dominant one. It is she who is fucking you. The woman calms down, her voice serene. She continues, So raping a whore is not rape, but raping a young girl's virginity, a woman's honor, now that's your creed. She stops, leaving a long moment of silence for her man. If he can... And she hopes he can to think about her words.
Well, what a light-hearted place to start. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Chapter 1, Take 2, the podcast where we read the book. Watch the movie? No, no, no. The podcast where we read the book, watch... <laughs> Drink your water! That was a very difficult passage to read. Yeah, you did it well. Hey everyone, welcome to Chapter 1, Take 2, the podcast where we read the book, watch the film, and discuss the adaptation. My name is Maddie. My name is Brianna. And this week we are covering The Patience Stone. Uh, written by Atik Rahimi um, in 2008. Um, please be aware that in this episode, um, I'll actually also probably put a warning at the beginning before you read that section. Yeah. Yeah. I'd just like to note that um, The Patient Stone was written by Atik Rahimi, but it was originally written in Persian French, and it was translated by Polly McLean. Yes. Yes. I, I just mentioned that because my Russian teacher in high school used to always say that when you're translating literature or poetry um, from one language to another, the translator works like a second author because they're trying to decide which of many uh, potential synonyms or work best in the context of of one language into another. A hundred percent. And that's actually a really interesting point because do we potentially, as um, English speakers ourselves, get a better interpretation of um, Atik's original meaning by watching the film as he was the director and screenwriter for that as well. And so reading the book, we only get the English translation from his French writing. But in the film, we get a direct visual of what he wants um, I mean, potentially, like he chose to cut out a character, so did he? Yes. Which one? Uh, the husband's father. Yes. No, I absolutely missed him from the film. You're you're a hundred percent correct. There were not as many flashbacks mm. as I anticipated there would be. Um, shall we do the segment that you introduced last week, which was first impressions before we watched the film? What were you yeah. anticipating? Um, okay, so what I was hoping for before we started the film was I was really hoping for it to be contained entirely within the room like it is. Oh, in the book? Yeah. And I so was, we, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I thought about this for weeks as I was reading it. I was thinking about how, because it'll, in in the book, certain passages will, will just say, you know, like, um, and the woman left for 648 breaths yeah. and then was back. And I know that, like... <laughs> You can't actually just have 648 breaths of time just watching an empty room. Um, but I had hoped that maybe, like, it would be represented in seconds or ticks on the clock or something like that. Just uncomfortably long cuts of just the room. Um, why was that something you were after? Um, considering how it would have definitely um, been boring to watch? I guess I was thinking of it as an absurdist kind of interpretation because the book in and of itself is quite absurd is it well i mean we get so much detail around what happens to the man 
when he's sitting alone in the room, like the the fly, the and fly, the spider. and the spider. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, do you want to? Um, yes. Good first impression. My first impression, because I'd like you to get into a summary, because I'm sure we're going to go on many different um, tangents in this episode because there's so much to discuss, and our listeners um, should have a summary first if they haven't read the book or watched the film. But my first impression, um, I was quite anxious. I am, am, am better about reading about sexual and physical violence because I'm a very visual person, and so to watch something in a TV show or a film, um, my mind, um, because it's in tune with an anxious brain it is an anxious brain it it replays things and so mm. i was quite nervous um about you know depending on how graphic it would be um, i'm really pleased that it wasn't more graphic yeah yeah no i definitely like it's a film that um i expected it to be much worse like it was mm. like there's nothing like i've seen um scenes from the game of thrones that disturbed me much more because they're just much more like they show the actual rape or the actual murder whereas well, this was like Mm. talked about and and in memory rather than on screen i think it carries more weight that way because it's a reflection of what she's actually going through she's not living it on screen she's living it and reliving it in her mind as she speaks to it about her husband and with yeah. that maybe i'll segue into the summary yeah yeah but you're absolutely, with, with that you're absolutely right because it's almost like she she's kept all this locked inside of her and she's only able to process it when discussing it with her comatose husband yeah please brianna give us a summary of the patient's stone um so it's actually not a really complicated summary um we're introduced to the main character who is a woman living in afghanistan or somewhere else in the middle east um in a war-torn section of the country uh her neighborhood has become the front lines for the war And her husband lies comatose in a room due to an injury that was caused. He was a fighter in the war, but it wasn't caused in the war. He was actually shot by somebody on his side over an insult. Um, And she is advised by the malah of her neighborhood to just wait it out. And so she prays um, and does her like daily rituals of washing his body and um, checking his drip bag and putting eye drops in his eyes, um, all while looking after and caring for two young girls. Um, And slowly over time, she becomes closer to her husband than she's ever been in the 10 years of their marriage. Um, As she she tells him all her secrets and eventually she considers him her Sanji Sabor, which is the patient stone in Persian French. Um, And uh, the patient stone is a mythological stone that was given by God to um, Adam and Eve. And it's said that if you reveal, everyone can reveal its secrets to the stone, the stone carries them and takes that burden from you. Mm. And eventually it becomes too full and it explodes. Yeah. In very in, in every way, the book is set up so that he is the patient stone. 100%. He becomes too full when she reveals the most damning secret and he yeah. explodes. Yeah. Well, he finds... In intense climax yes um spoiler alert as always and forever um he comes out of his is it a coma if you yeah because yeah. yeah. vegetative he, state yeah he can't even blink or anything yeah. yeah so he comes out of his comatose state um when she and they don't have names um yeah they don't they're have just names. she's the woman there's the aunt the young Which, soldier and oh. the man we could talk symbolism for days. Hey, yes, he's a very good writer. I'm 
I hope um, I'm su- I'm not surprised, but I'm also surprised and disappointed that I haven't read um, previous works of his before. Mm. Um, I hope that um, the minimalist poetic nature of the prose comes across in my reading. Uh, it, so, it certainly comes across in po- uh, Polly, Polly McLean's translation. It's stunning. Yes, it's very, very powerful. We just had dinner. We're a little bit burpy. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, he comes... <sighs> Sorry. You did that on purpose. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> ah, trying to keep things light during this intense, intense novel, uh, novella. It's quite short, but it's good. It's short, but intense. Oh, God. Yes. It's so good. Yes. I'm disappointed the library didn't have a printed copy. Mm. I would have written in it. You only write in books that we own. Do I, though? Are you admitting to vandalism? Am I? I'm a public servant, you know. Oh, <laughs> no, it doesn't mean anything. She reveals that um, their two daughters, young daughters, I think one of them is two or three and the other one's mm. four or five. Young. Very, very young. Um, they're not his because he is actually infertile um, after a few months of marriage. Um, sorry, sorry, no, no. He, they were married for three years before they even met. She originally was married to his dagger um, and a photograph of him because he was off fighting. Um, so stupid. And... He comes back, um, and after a few months of um, them sleeping together, she's not pregnant, and his mother is like, you should take another wife. She's not creating any sons for you. And so, of course, the woman um, panics because no one wants um, a used wife, and she goes to her aunt for help, who is a wealth of knowledge throughout the book because the woman is only married when she's 17, so she does not know um, a great many things, uh, of things and the aunts what's the term the pimp hmm. yes organizes a young healthy man to sleep with the woman uh, until eventually she is pregnant so um, it was the the man the husband that was infertile and so she reveals a secret to him um, he cannot he he is moved by rage and so m- attempts to murder her is she dead at the book we don't know at the end Um, i don't think she's dead no but yeah and then she stabs him Hmm. and then the young soldier who she's building a relationship with there's a lot of ambiguity around relationships i don't think it's a relationship i mean she has it's much more intimate than a relationship relationship to him but i don't know that it's like a romantic relationship yeah sure she more just pities him really i don't know I don't know yeah. if you. Well, I don't know if you can build a relationship that start uh, starts out of power like that, like a power dynamic. Yeah, I think it's really hard um, for me to completely understand or relate to all of the motivations of the woman because there is no context that I have ever even been close to that kind of oppression or um, power dynamic where I didn't have any kind of choice. Whether or not that's always been perceived in my life or not, um, but yeah, it, it's a, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever been in like no, I know that I've never been in a situation quite like hers, but I definitely sense um, and can relate to and understand the sort of cleverness with which she has Mm, to operate in to protect herself 100 percent. 
Like the scene in that I read where she tells the man she's not a prostitute. No, not at all. Um, but she lies and says that she is because she knows he will rape her yes. otherwise. Yes. Um, and that's quite, um, quite a significant thing, isn't it? To be raped? Well, or to have to lie to be a whore to not be raped? It The, the hypocrisy... Of him oh, being willing yeah, to rape she, a virgin, but not yes. Um, if she's had lots a of prostitute. sex, or if she wants sex, what's and the fun and raping? The hypocrisy him? of his anger in yeah, in her being her being a prostitute. I'm using air quotes because she's not. Um, also, there's nothing wrong with prostitution, unless yeah, no, no. you're forced into it, of course. But that's a different thing. That's sex life, but yes, like um, the hypocrisy of. Him being angry at her for being a prostitute while at the same time being willing to rape her if she's not. Yeah. 100%. Ah, the world. It's a mess. Um, I'll do my facts. Have you looked up anything? 88%. 88% on Rotten Tomato is your guess. It's 85%. Um, the film was released in 2012 um, in New Zealand. It was 2013. Uh, directed by the author, uh, like we discussed. Um, we... <sighs> Yes. No. What? Tell me. No, you carry on. I want to know. Carry on. All right. Um, they're speaking Persian mm. in the film, and we have English subtitles. It was really hard to get. No, no that's, a, that's not going to say that. Um, Six point nine. On... <laughs> Shush. So it was really hard to find a copy. Of this movie to watch. <laughs> it wasn't at our local library. Mm, our local blockbuster store. Um, 6.9 on IMDb. Um, the woman is played by the incredibly talented, intelligent, and beautiful uh, Gold Goldschiff. Goldschiffter? Farahani. Farahani, yes. Goldschiffter Farahani. Who we will now watch um, a whole bunch of her yeah, other I've works. Yeah, I've become a fan. Yes. She is amazing. Um, she is in Patterson um, with Adam Driver, which was released in 2016. And in 2019, she's just done a movie called Arab Blues, where she returns from France to be a psychologist um, in, uh, I can't remember, is it Afghanistan or somewhere in the Middle East? To, to Zan. Yep. We haven't watched it yet, so... Don't be mad at us. No, no, it's fine. Um, That will be really good. Um, The aunt is played by Hasina Bergan, the young soldier, Masi Rawat, the man, Hamid Dijanadan. See, I don't know if you're struggling to pronounce those names because they're foreign or because you can't read your handwriting. I always struggle to pronounce names. Even when they're English. Like, um, Saoirse Ronan. I only know how to pronounce that because we've seen so many interviews with her. Saoirse? I don't know why Saoirse? we can, I'm not sure that that's a, an English name. I think it's a Welsh But my point is that I've heard it. Scottish? It's definitely Irish. She's from Ireland, right? That's why she really loved doing in Brooklyn. Uh, oh yeah i i'm just um like it could be i'm not sure it doesn't matter if it's an irish name yep. or not like it could be a welsh name, i'm bad you know at pronouncing names i don't know why i do the cast list <laughs> I, I think it's literally for this banter um 
Do you know anything about the budget or how much it made? No, but I imagine it's a small budget film. What do you... Okay, great. I have the figures. Guess the budget. Guess the gross. I see. I don't even have like a baseline value. Well, the budget... Well, less than 300... The 300 million that Dr. Doolittle 200 cost. million, but yes. 200 million. <laughs> I love how Bree's constantly doing things like ear quotations and rolling Look, her I eyes. have an expressive face. Yeah. You really do, though. You're very much an actress in that sense. Oh, um... Uh, I'm gonna guess twelve million. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the um gross? Er- I remember seeing a six was? there, so I'm gonna go sixty-five million. Wow. Okay, you really underestimate the racism in society. <laughs> so the budget of the film was two million dollars. Okay. And a c- cumulatively worldwide gross, it has made six hundred and fifty-four thousand. Well, I mean, we don't even know, like, I definitely think racism, you know, just, but we don't even know what, how many theaters it was released in. If it was oh, mostly. sure. It's won a lot of awards. Because a lot of films. When did this come out? Film? 2012. Just kidding. I was going to say. Eight years ago. Well, some films get released um, at film festivals mm. and then have a wider release yes. later. So. Uh, Stop undervaluing racism. I'm not. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't mean like that. I just meant like, you're like, ah, people aren't that bad. Well, I was like, maybe it'll get a wider release. But um, it is quite an artistic film, quite um, like yeah. a niche. Yeah. I wonder I, if... I, I don't think it would have done well if it had a wide release anyway, just because it is quite, it's, it's a different kind of film than like... Yeah. Marvel. Yeah. I was going to say Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're absolutely right. I find it quite interesting. I wonder if the people who saw the film are those who have read the book. Um, it made me then think about how the price of a film ticket is less than the cost of a book, which is interesting to me because a book seems more complicated. Cause it's sure, but like um, I, I, the price of a film ticket is less than the cost of a book, but is the price of a film typically less than the cost of a book? Because like it's like comparing renting the book because you're when you buy a film ticket you're renting the film to watch one time but whereas buying a book you get to keep the book home so you have to compare the price of the cost of buying a dvd to buying the book not the ticket sure just for the analogy to work well those are my facts um how did you rate um the film as an adaptation of the book it was different the book made me sadder because it was i don't know she was telling. She's telling them both from the same perspective. The book and the film are happening in real time. Uh, I'd say seven and a half. Eight, yeah, eight. I feel that. Yeah. Um. The only big difference, like I said, uh, is just the leaving out of the father. Um. I was looking through, kind of scrolling through the book because we have the ebook. Um. And just trying to pick a section to read, and I noticed how similar so much of the dialogue was from the book into the film like he and that that tends to happen when the person who writes the book um does the screenplay it works in the screenplay uh like in the princess bride yes um so that's always really good because this the book is really well written the dialogue is really well written what she says out loud to her husband is well written and it it's powerful and so there's no reason to really change it because no. The format hasn't changed. I was sad that 
the conversations with the father, um, his father, not hers. She wasn't close to her own father. Her own father was a dick. Yeah. Um, uh, were cut out. There's that lovely story, which is basically what I would consider like the the Middle Eastern Oedipic, Oedipus Rex trilogy story, um, where a king is given a prophecy that if he does something, then it will bring about the fall of his kingdom. And um, he does the thing to avoid the thing, and that brings about yeah, the fall. He does a bunch of things to avoid the thing, and that brings about the fall of his kingdom. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that self fulfilling prophecy thing, and it's a great story. Um, and I thought it's interesting because the mother has two daughters. So the story is that the king has said, um, if you have any daughters, your kingdom will fall. And then he gets his wife pregnant, and she has only daughters. Um, he keeps murdering them. Yeah, so he kills the first two, and the third one speaks to the executioner and says, if you let me live, uh, the queen will have a kingdom of her own. And the executioner goes to the queen and tells the queen, and they go off, they run away, and escape with the executioner and the daughter, who can speak, um, and establish a kingdom that's really like benevolent and wonderful, and then eventually the king... The king is conquering because he's looking for his wife. Yeah, he's looking for his wife, he's angry, Yeah, and he finally comes across the kingdom, and the mother is really worried and panicked, and the daughter says, I can just deal with this, and the mother says no, and then the daughter goes she's in a, and she's has a, a secret meeting with the king yeah. and agrees to marry him. Well, they sleep together they, that in, that night. Do they? Yeah. All right. Um, and then... Because um, remember, he's like, they've committed the crime of incest. I remember them saying that, but I don't remember if that actually happened. No, no, it did. Okay. Uh, anyway. Because the mother's horrified. That has happened. I'm so sure. I, I believe you. I know you do. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to jog your memory. Because mm, I was just rereading it and I don't remember that expressly saying incest, but it's fine. Yeah. Like I mean, um, because she's say, she's a teenager then. The father speaking about it does say incest, but like I don't remember. But it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Sorry. And then the thing is, is um, the father is telling the story and he says. You have to realize that for anyone to be happy in the situation, people have to experience tragedy. Yeah, they have to lose. So the solutions are the daughter commits suicide. Um, the daughter is not honest with the king but turns over the mother and the king kills the mother. Or the daughter murders the father on the night of the wedding. Um, the reason I felt like they didn't... They didn't um, have sex before is because of the specific wording of before they consummate the marriage but maybe they did i think it's pretty vague it could be it could go other way because it just says they spent the night together um but i think i know what that means oh i don't know it seems like a weird thing for them to have consummated the marriage before they got married in that culture Mm. Mm. i mean like we can agree it's open to interpretation yeah anyway um but i really i really liked it and i think it adds something to the story because uh in the culture everyone wants to have a son but she has two daughters and then doesn't have a third in the story that he has two daughters but they're killed oh and i just thought there was some parallel between those stories yeah yeah definitely and she even talks about how um the woman she has nightmares about when she's first pregnant she doesn't want to have a son because she's afraid the son will reveal 
her secrets of how mm. they're not children of their um her husband but a woman wouldn't do that yeah so she's like my daughters won't betray me yeah um obviously her children wouldn't know unless she told them because they yeah people can't tell really yeah no i i did miss him i i to for me i didn't mind that it wasn't um just filmed in the room um like, I totally understand why they did that. And in doing so, you give the main female protagonist, who doesn't have a name, uh, more agency because the story follows her rather than staying with the man. But I quite enjoyed in the book that it stayed with the man because that is reflective of their culture. Sure. Um, and, yeah. I, and I thought that really emphasized... Yeah. Yeah. The, like, kind, the invisibility of yeah, women. A hundred percent. And um, the woman has a line where she says you're the one who's injured but i'm the one who's suffering there are so many good lines yeah it's very quotable it is super quotable yeah i I definitely want to reread it at a slower pace yeah we read about how um atik rahimi um wrote it in french um because he found it too taboo to even write about um the sexual desires and passions. Um, he felt he would have self-censored if he'd written it in his native language. Yeah, which yeah. is quite fascinating. It's incredibly interesting, and I and I, it's it's also interesting that he he's writing to draw um, attention to and shed a light on women um, in a culture that they are uh, normally quite uh, invisible. Yeah, um, and so I feel like it's one of the times where it's okay that a man is speaking for a woman because if he doesn't then they don't have representation like obviously we've got Golshif now Golshifte Golshifte Yeah I think that's pretty accurate um so I found this great article on Words Without Borders which is a not-for-profit agency and I really enjoyed it um I'll get Maddie's wonderful and does all the editing so I'll get her to link that in the description when she posts the video because it's a really good article and um, probably an organization any of our listeners would enjoy looking into Uh, but they talk a lot about um, in the article how difficult it is for female voices to be heard and how authors have come to champion it. This book, The Patient Stone by Atik Rahimi, um, being one of the ones that's championed female voices uh, and amazingly um, it's also, uh, it's a, it, the book was beloved by Khaled Husseini, who um, is fit, most famous for writing The Kite Runner, um, but he has two follow-up books, A Thousand Splendid Sons and The Mountains Echoed. I have run, read all three. They're stunning. So um, if you've read any of his books, I recommend all three, but I also recommend this one. You'll probably enjoy it. This one's quite a bit darker and doesn't have, um, I would say, the happy endings that we... <laughs> happy is complicated. Bittersweet. Happy is complicated. Nuanced endings I'm sure that we'll are cover... generally kind of happy that Halad Hussaini's books do. Um, but the article also um, mentioned the bookseller of Kabul, which... Um, I think it's incredible because the other day I was actually in a bookstore looking for copies of this book and other books that we're covering this season. And I just happened upon the bookseller of Kabul. Kabul is the setting for The Kite Runner. And I was like, oh, this is probably a good book. And I bought it without knowing anything else about it. And apparently it's quite an important book um, that champions the voices of females living in the Middle East. 
uh, and in Muslim countries. And I thought, oh, this is incredible. I'm, and I and I love when I do that. I just buy books and they become you important have, to me later. You have pretty good instincts. I do. When you listen to them. You found, you randomly found this really good bookstore that we went to on monday and we, we spent just under 40 dollars but got like 12 books which Love is crazy like bookstores. it's like it's an actual secondhand bookstore yeah. it's not like 20 bucks for a book and it was um it was such a good time and i picked up a copy uh, a collection of rumi's poetry and rumi is a notable afghan poet a love poet um, that's talked about in lots of the different books that we've read um and i'm really uh really excited to tuck into that you're such a literary nerd it's cool. I love it. I mean, I'm on board. I'm sure we'll cover The Kite Runner um, as an adaptation for the podcast. Yes, we will. <laughs> We've been um, toying around with the idea of adding a new um, book each season called Brianna's Pick, uh, just because I'm, I'm, I'm like a voracious reader. Which is hilarious books. because she picks the books we read for I every do. season, but they are very, like, they're for the genre of that season. Mm. And I had to research to find this book. It was really difficult to find, and this speaks to what we're talking about, yes. a book that was turned into a movie that stars a woman. A Thousand Splendid Sons and The Mountains Echoed both feature female protagonists at different points. Yeah. Um, but they haven't been turned into a film, which is a bummer because um, they're really good. Yeah, 100%. I think choosing to do female-led literature and film for our second season um, both makes so much sense, and it's been really interesting for me. It's, it's always present because as a lesbian couple... Um, our, every aspect of our life is um, flooded by our femininity hmm. or the fact we have vaginas um, but it's so interesting when you really dive into film and literature to see how it, it's complicated to find both books that have been turned into films written by women and also that star women. Yeah. Like it's, we, it's I, weird. And then, and then if we go even further and do it, who are those who are part of the LGBTQA plus community and also women of color, it gets even harder. Like you've got yeah. to dig so deep to find this content. Whereas if, you know, it was, yeah. if it was marketed the same way that many books and films are when they star, star um, straight white cis men. Yeah. I'm sure they like, would well, be more popular. This film is the kind of studied drama that is quite intense, but also intimate that the marriage story is. But um, I didn't hear about it until until now. You went looking for it. I think, until I went looking for it, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? There is, like, if, well, no matter the topic, both to a, a good and bad extent, if you go looking for it, you will find it. Yeah. But it's just... Um, and you know it's it's not our fault like a lot of the time a lot of us are too busy and so we just see the content that is either on tv or being fed to us through netflix or in the movie theaters and it was i mean I, we had hoped that we were going to get to do like a, a trifecta so all of the books would be written by women starring by women and directed the films would be directed by women but that was no way <laughs> it was impossible it was impossible yeah like this i mean i guess it wouldn't have been impossible if we'd done a smaller season Sure. But that's sad. Yeah. Like, because we're talking, I mean, what are we talking about? 20 book to film adaptations here? Oh, and, if And that's... there are more than 20 book to film adaptations coming out this year. Oh, no. That were, that, that were planned, we're to, planned to be released this a, year alone. A pre COVID world, if we can remember yeah. that. Pre March, pre January, depending on where you were in the world. 
uh, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. This this has been a bizarre year. Um, I'm very grateful, always, always grateful for books to help escape, but also educate about a different frame. Um, it's not our next episode; it's the episode after. But we're currently um, reading um, the Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is um, an LGBTQIA plus youth book and it is very good and it is not horrifically depressing which is a lot of the books I've read by Sarah Waters which are um lesbian fiction um because I'm a big gay um they're so violent and Mm. sad but this one this one's been such a treat and I like being reminded of a different reality from my own I find that it's very healthy like that's just escapism I'm pretty sure I love the books books are the best What's the next segment, baby? Oh, reviewing the film as a film. So how would you read the film as a film in and of itself? That's a hard question. They're always hard questions. Yeah, but it's... it's For me, it's a very good film. It's a very important film. You should watch the film. I don't want to watch it again, but only because I don't like being sad. Mm. But I'm glad that I've watched it. But for me, it's like... When I when I rate a film, I think about all these things like, do I want to watch it again? How engaged I was incredibly engaged during the whole film. It was it had my attention. I, yeah, a lot of the reviews talked about it. I'm um, bordering on the line of static, and maybe it was because I had read the book, but I never felt like it was static. No, and Golshifta like uh, Farahani carries this film. She is stunning. She's, She's amazing. captivating. Yep. Her monologues are well delivered, nuanced, varied. There are the, heights and lows. The change. Like when she does her final delivery and she's like wearing lipstick and she's changed to red and her hair's out. Yeah, we talked about the evolution yeah. of her dressing. She yeah, she's wearing red clothes at the end. Yeah. Um it's very good. The in the in the very end of the book, uh there's a line I just wanna I just wanna grab it really quick because it's so good. <laughs> If you think you would like to read this book, I honestly just please. You'll um, read it so fast. It's it's because it's so intense. podcast. Go ahead, go go read it, and then um, and then come back to us because it was so good. Uh, this always happens with the best books and the best films. We run out of things to talk about because we just want you to go and read them and watch them. Okay, so one of the lines The woman is scarlet, scarlet with her own blood. Um so we talked about how in the it's not clear whether or not she's alive or dead. Yeah, so at the end, yeah. I interpret that not as she's scarlet with her own dead as in she's been stabbed or she's been hurt significantly by um, her head being thrashed in the wall. I interpreted that as she's scarlet, as in blood has rushed her face. She's full of life. Ooh, I like that. And I love the imagery of scarlet, and I'm so glad that the translator chose scarlet, the word. Yes. As opposed to red. Yes. Um, Very different meaning. It is. And I and I don't know if there's like a direct translation between so red hard. and scarlet in I don't French. Read French. <laughs> I'd be so interested to know. If we have any French listeners um, who speak Persian French or any 
um, variety of French. I mean, we do, we do have French listeners. It's just whether um, they read the book. Who'd like to email us and tell us whether or not there's a specific word for scarlet, that shade of red, in French or Persian French. Uh, that'd be really interesting to know because I'd be interested to know in whether or not yeah. Atik Rahimi wrote scarlet because of the significance and the relation to scarlet letter. Yes. Um, you would delta you. Yeah. First introduction to that was in Easy A with Emma Stone. My first introduction to that was uh, in Mr. Deuce's English class with the book The Scarlet Letter. Well, naturally. I haven't even read it still. It's a great book. But I, I, have, I, don't, I haven't even seen the film, but all I know is about there's a bathtub scene with Debbie Moore. Debbie Moore. <laughs> Not Debbie. Anyway. Um, and I mean, I'm, it's, I'm it's really good because it, um, if that's true, then it's a callback to The Scarlet Letter, uh, which is stunning. And, um, and it's stunning because they both books deal with the kind of um, uh, hypocrisies of the way that a woman's sexual purity is treated versus the way that a man's sexual purity is treated. Yeah, of course. Of course. Ugh. I love being a lesbian. Um, and, and, and Seven or nine. I can't decide. Because it's an amazing film, but I don't want to watch it again. But I think it, give it a nine. There are films that are meant to be consumed ones, I believe. You believe? Yeah. I don't wow. think every film has to be so good that, I mean, think about it. There are paintings that most of us will probably only, if, if, if you know, the, some of the paintings we've seen, we'll probably only ever see once in our life. Sometimes I like to think about that. Sometimes I like to think about how sometimes the first time that I step into a building or an art gallery or see a film or read a book, it's the last time that I'm doing it because I might not get around to doing it again before I die. Thoughts? <laughs> That's a cute face. Uh, that's totally valid. I remember one museum we were in, and I believe this was Seattle, but I could could be wrong. We went to a lot of museums because it was winter and we mm. were cold. Um, but there was a massive, like, uh, it wasn't bone, but it was some sort of, um, sculpture hanging from the ceiling in the shape of a whale or some sort of large animal. Do you, do you remember that? You walk into the building and you looked up. And it was huge. Maybe it was. I don't. It wasn't the. It wasn't the gallery. It wasn't the gallery in Minnesota. It might have been New York. We did a tour of the states. If you can't tell, it doesn't matter. Pass. But when you said that, like we probably won't be there again. But I still remember that gallery really vividly. No, yeah, I remember. It was the one. It had that. The, sure it, it, had, it, it had the China exhibit, remember? And it had all the um, the things. I remember hanging. From I remember the gallery in Seattle. Uh, I just don't remember the specific piece you're talking about. I'm sorry about that, but I'm sure we could Google it. Does it? Do you, if you see something once and forget it, have you ever really seen it? Ooh, it's a Matrix question for you. Anyway, what would you rate the film? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a nine. I think it was beautifully done. Yeah. I really loved the attention to detail. I'm glad that he spent, uh, Atik Rahimi spent luxuriatingly long moments on things like the curtains. Yeah. Um, because the curtains really stood out for me in the, in the writing. Yeah. Um, I loved... Shadows. Yeah. And the, I loved that the dialogue was taken. I loved her physical transformation, how often, um... Even the way she eats. Like how flushed she is, yeah. Um, or how um, how how her hair is, if it's up, if it's down, if it's neat, if it's, yep. you know, yep. really reflects her state of mind. Um, it's really honest and grungy 
which yeah. is the way that it should be. Um, yeah, yeah. It felt the whole thing felt so real and tangible. Yeah, in a way that um, a lot of films don't. You know, we've been enjoying this wonderful little, uh, not Disney, but Disney, but not Disney TV show on Netflix that's recently been dropped called Julie and the Phantoms, and it's absolute. It, I mean, it's it's gold it's, nonsense. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it has it ghosts in it, but like even apart from that, it, you know, like from how stylish all the teens are, and everyone always looks nice and tidy, and they all and, sing amazing yeah. and dance in unison. Like I mean, for Brie and I, who met at Disney, it's like really fun, but also it's really important. It's really important that that is not the only media that you consume. It is really important that you watch films and read books like The Patient Stone. Patience Stone. I keep saying patient because to me that makes more sense grammatically. The Patient Stone. The stone of patience. Isn't the patient thing though. What is? She is. But isn't it about a stone that is patient? I don't think so, but that's a good, you know, it's a good question, but... I don't think the stone exhibits patient, patience for people. I think people carry their burdens with patience until they can unload them on the stone. Yeah. Maybe the existence of the stone allows patience to exist. Yeah. I mean, I think there is metaphors and analogies and all kinds of meaning. I mean, would you say that the husband is patient in listening to her? No, or that he she's to. been patient. Yeah. In she... finding someone to listen. Yeah. Well, she talks about how they've been married for 10 years, but only living together for three. And this is the first time that he has listened to her because yeah. he has to, because he's comatose. Yeah. yeah. One of the direct quotes is, um, like, she says, it's so nice that you're able to listen to me. And let's be honest, without interrupting me or blaming me. Yeah. Um, because he's quite an awful husband. He's terrible. He beats her. Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, yeah. Yep. 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 Um, I can't think of anything else to say. That's fine. I really love the pauses. I love that uh, there was weight placed on lingering shots on her face, um, on her looking and reacting. She does quite a significant amount um, facially, when I was reading the book, I imagined this is a one-woman play. Oh yeah, sure, be very powerful. Yeah, it just hit like a. And dog. it would be so like, uh, it would be so appropriate for a male actor to be on stage for the entirety of a one-woman show, asleep essentially, only to get up and be part of the most important part of the the play you know what i'm saying like does nothing gets a significant applause (laughs) gets the climax i'm not saying there are some really incredible male performers um not all men on stage but most men i didn't even say that i just it's easier for them to get an applause i would say unless you know they're men of color but like we used to live with a guy this is a side note and I asked him very earnestly um as a straight white man who had a kidney transplant how is it getting 
the benefit support because do people expect more of you because you're a straight white man and he said no actually um, because I'm a straight white man they think it's I must have failed harder and so it's easier to get the support that I need than if I was a woman or a person of color and I really like that he was aware of that but also he was like yep there's no downside Mm. and I was like far out that's a thing yeah anyway that was just a side note um shall we do revamp remake retire did you have other thoughts other conversation pieces nope that's great i'm ready i know what mine is great one two three retire Retire. yeah of course just leave it make more films make more films starring uh women of color from the middle east muslim women yeah Um, there's nothing wrong with a film being made in in any language that isn't english we watched the entire film and read subtitles, but also you could tell a lot by someone's body language, by their facial language, by their tone. Communication is like 5 or 15% verbal. Hmm. Everything else. I do think it would be quite difficult to watch this as a silent film. but um, Oh, definitely. But I'm just saying we can read subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. To fill in the blanks. Quite happy to. Absolutely. What a treat this was. I'm so glad that we found it. I'm so, I'm so glad that you found it, baby. Thank um, you so much. You put so much effort into this. I Well, it, it, I just think the story is like, when I read The Kite Runner, I was listening to it as an audiobook, and I was biking um, biking to and from work, and I listened to it on my commute. And um, Always it, the multitasking. It, tears were streaming down my face. Yeah. And there are books change me i'm reading this collection of essays by camille paglia uh how many books are you reading right now a lot um and uh, <laughs> she's reviewing one of shakespeare's sonnets and she talks about how um you know shakespeare does a lot of like with the rhythm and repetition of phrases and the poem is basically about how life is the rehearsal for death like we go to sleep, we lie down, that's a rehearsal for death. And I just had this stark image pop into my head of, like, the earth being covered in grave sites um, and people are just going to sleep, rehearsing to die. Uh, they're, they're living to get to the point where they die and then there's one one grave site where someone is sitting and they're not going to sleep and they're reading a book and that's how they live all the lives. It's how they never die is by consuming all these stories in my head. That's what it's like, mm. but it does matter what stories you consume and stories like the patient stone are stories that keep you from dying because oh, yeah. they allow you to live vicariously through people we've never met. And, 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 and because it's so real and it's so passionately and well-written in such a concise, mm. beautiful, poetic way, you get the full force of that life. And yeah. it feels like, you, like, I mean, I would never equate reading a story to actually living through no, that no, trauma. No, of course not, but of course not. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. No, that's I t- how I feel. I totally agree with you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like, you have to read stories that are different from your own. Absolutely. It's, it's how you grow and develop empathy. And talking to people. Talking to people is just another way of telling stories. I do a monthly newsletter at my work um, where I write about... Um, an adaptation that I've loved the most and I'll definitely be doing The Patient's Stone next because I think it's a book that all these people should read and know about and research. Um, yes. Are you good? <laughs> yeah. I'm just really excited. I'm really excited because um, 
I'm looking at going into teaching next year. Uh, She's going into teaching next year. And um, I'm really... Getting a master's. Master's Brianna. Master Brianna. I'll be the doctor. I'm really excited to, uh, you know, by the prospect of of sharing stories like this and of um, teaching students how to listen to stories like this and glean everything they can out of them and also how to how to tell their stories in this way uh and make themselves seen and heard so it's very exciting you're gonna be an amazing teacher pump 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 it up yes we'll try to figure out what i'm gonna do with my life anyway this has been chapter one take two a book to film adaptation review podcast we release a book every sorry we release an episode every fortnight we release a book every year we're fantastic like that <laughs> just pumping it out pumping it out um our <gasps> next episode will be this is my man voice <laughs> the, you can recognize it from when i did the reading at the beginning this is my man voice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's Maddie's. Brianna's being silly. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, our next episode will be Can You Ever Forgive Me by Lee Israeli. Israel? Israel by Lee Israel. I'm bad with names. I'm sorry. I had she a friend. She was a lesbian. A lesbian cat lady. She did. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. She uh, seemed like she wasn't enjoying her life all that much. Is it a memoir? So it's real. I can't. Yeah. What's a memoir? Is it that's real, right? Yeah. So she did this. Yes. That's hilarious. I didn't know that. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's funny. That will be our next episode, and we will be having a very special guest on the podcast. So be sure to tune in. Then we are on Facebook, even though we understand that it is literally the end of society, but that's how we market ourselves for free because we don't make any money. But we're here because we want to talk to you and share ideas, and we love you. You opened the chocolate. We did open the chocolate. Chapter one, take two, all written out is Facebook. Instagram. She opened the chocolate. CH1TK2 in numerals for Twitter, which we sometimes use, but I find it's quite an aggressive form of social media. Facebook's my favourite because I've used it the longest. I've used it for 10 years, actually. I'm so old. I, I like Facebook because I started it when I was a teenager. Now they've got these UDD people connect on Reddit and YouTube and What Instagram is this, YouTube? And Snapchat YouTube, you, I think. I, I actually I, got Facebook um, when I was 17 because my first girlfriend, who was German, left on her exchange. We met in high school. And she's like, you should get Facebook. You should, I'm not going to do a German accent. You should get Facebook so that we can like communicate online and stuff, even though she publicly never told anyone we were dating for two and a half years. I got Facebook because I broke up with my then high school boyfriend and I was sad and someone told me that having Facebook would make me feel better about myself. That's not good advice. That's not good advice at all. They were wrong. They were wrong. I love you, and how you are proud to be with me makes me feel so good about myself. I'm proud to be with you, baby. I'm proud to be with you, baby. Anyway, lesbian love. It's a thing. Um, yes, um, Maddie believes that lesbians can't die from heart attacks. I, that, I saw that they can't. I said that they don't. 
<laughs> I bet that's a statistic. Like lesbian, if you're a lesbian, I really if you're, doubt if it. If you're a lesbian, you're eighty percent less likely to die of a heart. We should ask Dr. Michael Greger about yeah, it. How not to die? Sure. Be a lesbian. <laughs> Anyway, you can. Our comedy is coming out. We do shows oh. in Otatahi. He talks about how you can prevent illnesses by eating certain things. But cats aren't vegan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, this is why we shouldn't record okay. after like 9 pm. Right, like, but, but we. I buy any alcohol. We don't need it. We're sleep deprived. That's like being drunk. Um, we perform comedy shows all the time. If you're ever in Otatahi Christchurch, um, feel free to look us up on Facebook. Look us up. The Big Zance. Look us up. We're here on your phone, in your ear, and in real life. Sitting on our thrones, chatting to the patient stone, waiting for it to explode. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> this has been Chapter 1, Take 2. Take care of yourself. See you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Barbie signing off. Covered red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>